0: Day. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers that are here this morning and remember we get we as fathers get to model the ultimate father. We get to model his love, his compassion, his truth, his provision. But we also get to be dependent on him. And we know that as we get off work, men, as we have worked those long hours, we're tired, we're short, our patience is low, our strength is failing. But how beautiful it is that when we go to our Heavenly Father, he's got all of that in full at all times. He never gets weary. He never gets short with us. When we ask for a fish, he doesn't give a snake, and his love endures forever. So take that with you, fathers. The Heavenly Father is for you. If you've been with us for the past few weeks, we've been in a series called Who's Your One? Uh, I've enjoyed it so far. Uh, It's challenged me just to be more intentional with my personal evangelism, with me making connections with others. And I hope you've been challenged and encouraged as well. Pastor Mike led us off with the call of Christ looking at the call of the disciples. And what I love about that story is that Peter, a failing fisherman, is now going to fish for people. That God got this man at his job doing nothing, failing at his job, and said, come follow me, I'll make you fishers, fish, a fisher of men. What a beautiful thing that it ain't about us, but about, it's about what God wants to do in us. Pastor Jesse reminded us last week that Jesus is our treasure. Looking at the paralyzed man that was brought to Jesus by the others. And what a a beautiful thing it is that our faith inspires us to share our faith, to bring others to faith. That intimacy with Christ, we can't just keep it to ourselves, but we got to tell somebody about it. Because when you know healing from hurt, you want to share that. This morning, I want us to explore what happens when our hearers, when, he, when one hears the word. I want to explore when one person hears the word and believes the word. Sometimes we can be a little hesitant to think, well, if I, like, I, I believe you, Lord. You say you're going to bring people to yourself, but do I really believe you? The answer to that has to be yes, brothers. The answer to that has to be yes. So we're going to look at when one person hears the word, when they believe the word. What can God do with one person once they've seen him? Think about your one. What can God do with your one once they've seen him? What type of impact can our one have on the kingdom of God? Because it's not just about them, right? But if we believe that they belong to the kingdom of God in that moment upon believing in their faith, then They're an instrument to be used by God to bring him glory. Our scripture passage this morning gives us a picture of Jesus's one. Jesus pursued one this morning. Who the Lord used in his kingdom to glorify God to an unlikely people. Our passage this morning comes from John 4 verses 1 through 42. It's a long one, I know. But... When Ezra got up and read the law of Moses all day, I guess we can read 42 verses, right? (laughs) We can read 42 verses. So if you're able, please stand and enjoy this text with me this morning. Enjoy this text. I mean, it's a beautiful text if you're here and you just want to see God move in somebody's life that seemed unmovable at first. God is showing off in this text this morning. John chapter 4. We're going to start at the Samaritan woman. Verses 1 through 42. When Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went again to Galilee. He had to travel through Samaria So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, she asked him. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. Go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. "'You've correctly said, I don't have a husband,' Jesus said. "'But you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. "'What you have said is true.' "'Sir,' the woman replied, "'I see that you're a prophet. "'Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, "'but you Jews say the place to worship is in Jerusalem.' "'Jesus told her, "'Believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father "'neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem.' You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. Because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him, must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming who is called Christ." When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus told her, hold on. I, the one speaking to you, am he. Oof, that's beautiful. Just then his disciples arrived, and they were amazed that he was talking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you want? Or, why are you talking with her? Then the woman left her water jar, went into town, and told the people, come see a man who told me everything I did could this be the Messiah? They left the town and made their way to him. In the meantime, the disciples kept urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said, I have food to eat that you don't know about. The disciples said to one another, could someone have brought him something to eat? My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work, Jesus told them. Don't you say there are, still, there are still four more months, and then comes the harvest? Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields, because they are ready for harvest. The reaper is already receiving, paying, and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper can rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true: one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap; you didn't labor for what you didn't labor for. Others have labored. And you have benefited from their labor. Now many Samaritans from, the town, from that town believed in him because of what the woman said. And she testified, he told me everything I ever did. So, then, so when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of what he said. And they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said. Since we have heard for ourselves and know this, that this is really the Savior of the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Jesus, one person, pursued us. Thank you that you sent one to pursue us. You, you sent one to pursue us even when we didn't want to be pursued, Lord. And Father, I pray that your word would go forth this morning, that you would just give me wisdom and spiritual understanding of this text, that it may encourage others and those who hear the sound of my voice, that we know that you are the Messiah, and that when we tell one, one can tell others. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we think through Juneteenth, tomorrow is actually Juneteenth, and I'm off, praise God. We recognize Juneteenth as a moment in our country's history when slaves in Texas finally realized that they were free. All slaves were free on paper, but not indeed. The proclamation, the Emancipation Proclamation given by President Lincoln didn't reach everybody, but when it finally reached Texas, they were free indeed. Reflect with me what one slave's freedom did for her and the others, she told. Harriet Tubman was born a slave somewhere between 1820 and 1822 in Dorchester County, Maryland. At age 12, She intervened to keep her master from beating an enslaved man who tried to escape. She was hit in the head with a two-pound weight, leaving her with a lifetime of severe headaches and narcolepsy. But ultimately, enough was enough. In 1849, she and her two brothers escaped north on what we know as the Underground Railroad. There was a $40,000 reward for her death or capture. Tubman returned to the South several times and helped dozens of people escape. Harriet Tubman was never caught on the Underground Railroad. Harriet Tubman never lost a passenger on the Underground Railroad and eventually died a free woman. Harriet Tubman had a bounty and a reputation that could lead to death, but she went back anyway. In our story this morning, we see another woman who tasted life, not just life, but living water. And how she went back to set others free is quite an amazing story. Amen? Amen. I'm going to readjust up here. If I can encourage you this morning, the text that we just read and that we'll be into, we see that when our one reaches some, many can be reached. When our one reaches some, many can be reached. The Lord can use us to witness to one person, but that one person can reach dozens and even far more. Let us not think that A person who we prayerfully and humbly consider as the one whom we should pursue with the gospel of Jesus Christ is a trite matter. Our God is in the business of calling people to his kingdom for his glory. I submit to you this morning that in my first point, our one may be an unlikely one. Our one may be an unlikely one, verses one through nine. When Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went again to Galilee. He had to travel through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus was worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, she asked him, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. New breed, I submit to you this morning that the story of the woman at the well is more than just a story of a man meeting a woman. The story of the woman at the well is more than just a Jewish man meeting a Samaritan woman. The story of the woman at the well is more than just a Jewish rabbi meeting a Samaritan woman. The story of the woman at the well is more than just our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, meeting a woman at the well. But it is a picture of humanity's need for living water. This is more than just a cultural watershed moment in scripture. This is more than just our savior speaking to an outsider. But this moment at Jacob's well is a picture of me and the rest of a hurting humanity, you and the whole world, as we attempt to bring our broken cisterns, our broken selves to the well that we think will quench our thirst for relevance, love, intimacy, and purpose. But oh, how we waste that water all over ourselves, right? When we try to fill it up with a broken cistern. Remaining in a thirsty state, and even the water we do drink, is perpetually unsatisfying. John's narrative of the woman at the well can represent all of humanity's need for a spring that wells up to eternal life. Black, white, Jew, Gentile, we're all decorated dust in need of living water. Jesus meets this Samaritan woman whose name is never revealed to us, but her plight is all too clear. But before we delve into her story, we can't miss our Lord Jesus in this story. Jesus has taken his sermon series on the road due to the Pharisees rumbling and grumbling about, hey, Jesus is out there baptizing too many people. We don't really like what he's saying. He's making us suspect. He might be a blaspheme and a heretic. But the author notes that Jesus wasn't even the one baptizing these, these guys. But nevertheless, the religious leadership is starting to get very suspicious of Jesus Jesus being about his father's work, as we're reminded in Luke 2.52, takes his show on the road. He slips away to the countryside out of the bustling metropolis of Judea, not simply because of fear of man, but to reveal that he is the Messiah to an outsider. He didn't come because he was just simply scared of those Pharisees. He came to meet her. Mm, That's good news, right? Don't miss the first few moments of this historic interaction. Just a quick history, just a quick history lesson here. Uh, Jews and Samaritans didn't get along. They did not associate with one another. As the woman, the woman even pointed out in verse nine, right? How is it that you, a Jew, ask me for a drink, ask for a drink from me? A Samaritan woman, she asked him. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So she's like, why are you even asking me for something to drink if you consider me unclean, right? Samaria is sandwiched between Judea and Galilee. The people themselves were seen as half-breeds. These are Samaritans I'm talking about. Not fully Jewish and not clean at all. In fact, scholars say that a Jewish rabbi would rather go thirsty than to get a drink from a Samaritan woman. So it's a big deal that Jesus goes and accepts this water, right? And asks this woman for a drink. Jesus meets this woman in midday after he had sent his disciples into town. As some of us know already, And if this is your first time hearing this passage, it's a big deal that a woman goes to the well in the middle of the day. Women don't go to the beauty shop and don't talk to nobody. Y'all talk to people, forgive me, but y'all talk to people, right? So for this woman to go get water by herself in the hottest part of the day without her girlfriends is kind of a big deal. She didn't want to talk to nobody. So that means. Uh, we, we, we can kind of infer with Jesus' conversation with her later that she's a woman of not so great a reputation. She didn't want to talk. She didn't want to be the subject of the day's gossip on the other side of the well, right? So she came alone. She came by herself. And she meets Jesus. Jesus. And take special note of how she meets Jesus. Jesus is tired. He's sitting there tired from a six-hour journey walking from Judea to Samaria. Jesus is hungry. Jesus is thirsty. Jesus is tired. But he's not hangry, right? We would get hangry. And church, aren't you glad that we serve a high priest who can sympathize with our bodily, physical needs, right? And our brokenness. But even in his thirst and hunger... And fatigue, he shows himself as a perfect Messiah to her. Yeah. So we don't have to, right? We know that it's not, us, it's not up to us to be perfect, even in our weakness, because he was already perfect on a hot day, waiting six hours to get something to drink. And the person he chooses to serve him along the way, this first glass of water that he's been waiting on, is an unlikely person. It's an unlikely one, as we think about our sermon series But she is, in fact, no doubt about it, the woman at the well from Samaria. If nothing else, when we walk away from this passage, we must know that as we pursue our one, put this down, Our one doesn't need a private school education. Our one is not required to have a church background. Our one is not required to have youth group experience. Our one is not required to have a great prayer life. Our one is not required to have a deep understanding of the Bible and biblical truth. Our one is not required to have a love of God, country, and Chick-fil-A with an SUV. Our one is not required to have two and a half kids and a dog, named after your favorite theologian. Our one is not supposed to be a conservative, right? Our one is not supposed to be anything we think our one should be. The only thing that is required for us to pursue our one is an understanding that all men fall short of the glory of God. And we know that God has a track record of taking unlikely people and making them prime candidates to be elected into his kingdom. Yeah, that's good. Rahab, the Canaanite prostitute. Hebrews eleven thirty one 31 reminds us. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, welcomed the spies in peace and didn't perish with those who disobeyed. Mm, I'll take it. Ruth, the Moabitess, foreigner. Ruth in chapter 4 gets, uh, gives us a picture of a marriage covenant with Boaz that leads to David in in his covenant, that leads to Jesus in our covenant with Jesus, with Christ that lasts forever as we are his faithful bride. Psalm 7, a psalm inspired by the words of a Cushite, that's in Africa, Uh, a black man wrote a psalm, there you go. Cush being one of the nations that the Lord would choose over Israel, right? A Cushite wrote Psalm 7. Church, we must believe that when God says in Acts, Chapter 1, verse 8, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We got to believe the promises of God more than the propensity of people to believe. That's good. That's good. God has already told us what he's about to do. We just have to believe him and act as if he is the one in control. Before we move on to our next point, consider the woman at the well and her encounter with Jesus alongside her and Nicodemus, right? Because to kind of set this up, it's a beautiful thing if you go back and look at John chapter three and four. In John chapter three, Jesus is doing his thing Nicodemus comes over in the middle of the night in the dark doesn't want to be seen and says hey you've been saying some stuff and is it true and Jesus is like yes it is true for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that be me (laughs) that anyone who believes should not die but have everlasting life and Nicodemus like well what about the law like bro I'm that dude and Nicodemus goes about his business we don't really hear from him so much more the woman at the well you could say a day later or whatever But she's by herself and Jesus pursues her in her isolation. Right? Mm. Jesus meets this woman who's not a Jewish rabbi. Jesus meets this woman who's not Nicodemus, a teacher of the law. But literally, Jesus has to break purity law to even kick it with her for that moment. Right. Right? Jesus didn't have a Billy Graham rule in this moment. He didn't need it, right? Like, he is the picture of purity, of perfect purity. You can't question what he's doing. If he's talking to a girl by himself, it's for a good reason. It's not bad, right? And even if we pan out a little bit more, John chapter 20 verse 30 and 31 reminds us of this. So John writes the entire book of John and at, toward the very end he's like this. He's given us the reason why he wrote this. And so I think we should take that into account of all the interaction that Jesus has with people in the book of John. Verse 30 in John 20. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe in Jesus they may believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's why John wrote the book of John. He's telling us. And so when we see this woman, we see Jesus not just having a conversation at the water cooler, but having a conversation about life. The promises of God carry more weight than the propensity of people, us included. Call me crazy, but... It actually helps when we see ourselves as unlikely candidates for the kingdom. As when we see ourselves in this story as one who needs a savior. John 3.30 tells us, he must increase, but I must decrease. The Samaritan woman's background wasn't ideal by any stretch. She wasn't raised in a lovely Jewish home. But Jesus was doing the work of his father. May we do the same, even if our one is an unlikely one. Your one can be an unlikely one. But not only that, your one may have a legacy of sin and shame. Your one may have a legacy of sin and shame. Verses 10 through 18. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who was saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water, I will give him We'll never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. Go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You've correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said. For you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. So Jesus has already entered her physical space and has just broken all the Billy Graham purity laws, right? But now he's about to make his descent into her soul. The Samaritan woman figures Jesus is talking about actual water, right? And so she says, well, um, can I get some of that water, right? Right? But even before she makes that reference, even before she goes there, she's like, hey, our father Jacob, um, he's kind of that dude. And like, that's kind of like been my hope all up to this point. And so she references um, the patriarch Jacob. She clearly does not know that Jesus um, is who who he says he's about to be. So she asks him, are you greater than our father Jacob? But even before she appeals to her historical knowledge of the Jewish heritage, She suggests that Jesus is speaking to her only in need of actual water. Family, as we pursue our one, there will be those who we encounter who feel as if the answer to our pain and suffering, to their pain and suffering, lies solely in the material world. Solely in the material world. There's nothing wrong with having more places for fresh food in a food desert. Nope. By all means, let's get clean water to people around the world who don't have clean water to drink please, let's do that. But to assess the body and to neglect the soul, we do no favors for her in humanity. Jesus invites her to ask for living water. As she obliges, then he reminds her that her greater need is not just to quench a thirst. The greater need is not just to quench a thirst, but to fulfill a longing. Jesus points out that her lifestyle with these five men and the current man, who's not her husband, represents a longing and a thirst that she can never seem to conquer. What if we didn't just point out sin in our friends' lives? What if we didn't just tell our family how ratchet they were? What if we just didn't tell other people how ratchet they were? What if we just didn't point at the TV and see, see, that's what's wrong with the world, right? What if we didn't just do that? But what if... Promiscuity in our one called us to remind them of a greater intimacy that they seek. What if anger in our one reminded us of the ultimate unmet need to solve shame and fear in the one who bore the shame, nakedness on the cross and conquered fear and death, right? What if we did that? So we can speak to dead dreams and offer living hope, right? First Peter. One three, We have a living hope. We can tell people who are falling apart at the seams that Colossians 1 tells us that he holds all things together. What if we didn't just shake our heads and say too bad or say I told you so, but what if we actually offered living water that springs up to eternal life in the person and work of Jesus Christ, right? What if we did that? Romans 6.22 and 23. But now since you've been set free from sin and have become enslaved to God, you have your fruit which results in sanctification and the outcome is eternal life. So that's how we're supposed to work. We have our fruit that results in eternal life. And when we engage people, at some point they should see eternal life being harvested in a human body, in this moment, not just their brokenness, right? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life, Christ Jesus our Lord. I love the fact that Jesus didn't just go sit with this woman to tell her all about her problems, but he said, I see you struggling, sis. I see you struggling right now. you by yourself. You're a Samaritan. You got some history. You got a background, but all right, I got you. Check me out. I'm something better than that. I'm better than your forefather, Jacob. In fact, I made Jacob, right? Luke, In Luke chapter 4, verses 16 to 21, I want us to, I'm going to read this for a second because this is important. You can think of yourself or you can think of somebody else. Think of maybe some of the roughest moments in your life when you just felt like, man, Lord, I can't even stand up straight. I can't even look you in the eye, Lord, because of my sin, brokenness, because of whatever happened in my family past, my current history or whatever I'm just feeling right now. Imagine the weight of that just being on you and maybe how you felt in that. Now I'm going to read a story when Jesus walks into the synagogue where all they talk about is the law and right and wrong and how you should not touch this and not drink that and not look at that and not do that and sit there for so many days, right? So Jesus walks in, and he opens up a scroll. And it reads like this. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Imagine if Jesus read this scroll to the person that you're pursuing who you know they're hurt and they're pain. He said, I came to set you free. Like, I'm all your hopes and dreams. Me, standing here right now. He's not just Mr. Right. He's Mr. All the Time for all of eternity. Right? So our one just like the woman at the well, may have sin and shame. And that's going to be a part of people's story because it's a part of our story, right? But that doesn't have to be their only story. Our one may be an unlikely one, and our one may have sin and shame, but our one can also be one who seeks truth. Our one can also be one who seeks truth. Verses 19 through 26. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus told her, believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. One is called Christ. When he comes, I will explain, he will explain everything to us. Jesus told her, here we go. I, the one speaking to you, am he. Jesus is now getting to the heart of the matter with the Samaritan woman and her lifestyle, and her idea of worship, and how one ought to worship. The Samaritan woman tries to give Jesus a Jesus juke here. She tries to juke him a little bit. Well, what about, you know, we worship over here. The Samaritan woman's attempt to tell Jesus that she is from church folk, and that the idea of worship is important to her, Jesus ain't really buying it, right? Jesus helps her see that worship indeed is, is for her, Not just a fact that occurs, but something that takes place deep within one's conviction. Verse 22, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. She's like, hey, I go to church. Like, I, I worship. Like, I believe that I'm supposed to be doing something. Jesus reminds the Samaritan woman that her emphasis and focus on her forefathers and the location means nothing if she doesn't believe his words and the words he's speaking to her. Our one we're pursuing, they might have a roundabout knowledge of God's word, the church, even Jesus, but it's the spirit that does the work. But in spirit, is what the Lord seeks. The conviction that all of God's word is true on an outward expression of transformation based on the knowledge. Not simply the knowledge, but an inward conviction and transformation based on the truth. In spirit and in truth, Jesus can satisfy the mind and the heart. Jesus can answer the questions of the mind and fulfill the longings of the heart. So as we pursue our one, we could make case that the Lord seeks to speak to our mind, our body, and our soul. So sometimes we might have to do a little apologetics as we pursue our one and they're thinking, well, I know the Bible, but I'm not familiar with it. Or they may have questions about the Bible or just questions about the faith. Sit down, take time, be patient with them, right? Once again, Jesus is tired. He's thirsty. He's hungry. He could have just been like, stop, I'm done. Like He could have just avoided the whole situation, right? but he didn't. He took the time to engage her. And sometimes that's what we got to do. Sometimes it ain't about us, but we got to take the time to engage people if they're seeking truth. And lastly, our one can be one who tells others. Our one can be one who tells others. Verses 27 through 42. Just then his disciples arrived and they were amazed that he was talking with a woman. Yet no one said, what what do you want or why are you talking with her? The woman left her water jar, went into town and told the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They left the town and made their way to him. In the meantime, the disciples kept urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said, I have food to eat that you don't know about. The disciples said to one another, Could someone have brought him something to eat? My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus told them, Don't you say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields because they are ready for harvest. The reaper is already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper can rejoice together. For in, the case, for in this case, the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap what you didn't labor for. Others have labored and you have benefited from their labor. Now many Samaritans in the town believed in him because of what the woman said. When she testified, he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed with, their, with them two days. He stayed there two days many more believed because of what he said and they told the woman we no longer believe because of what you said since we've heard ourselves heard for ourselves and know that this really is the savior of the world so she goes home she tells others and look what happens Sometimes it can take a while for a new believer to catch their stride. For some of you who are newer converts in Christ, you might hear us say, "Go preach the gospel. Go tell your friends about the gospel." And I'm like, well, I just learned the gospel. I don't really know what I'm doing here, right? Like, I get it, right? So it can take a it, it can take a little bit to catch our stride and catching up on, you know, exactly like how to flesh out in a conversation what you believe. We get it, but it's not the only thing that gives us the confidence right? Knowing how to share your faith isn't the only thing that gives us the confidence. Our reputation isn't the only thing that gives us our confidence. It's what the word has done in us that gives us our confidence. Some are more gifted in the area of sharing our faith. Some are more passionate. Some are more articulate. Some are more relational. But it's a beautiful thing here that How she comes to the well and how she leaves the well are two different states. But even before that, look at the juxtaposition of her and the disciples. In verse 27 through 38, the disciples return from town with food, as mentioned earlier. Jesus is tired from the traveling. He has to go through Sychar. The disciples return seeing a Samaritan woman. She runs off without her water jar on a mission And we see this, right? In verses 31 through 38, John records Jesus telling his disciples, do not worry about my appetite. I got food. And it's doing the work of my father. Right? Now imagine Jesus in this moment. He travels six hours. Thirsty, hungry. He sees, I mean, he's the only one who can really say, I saw this woman's face when I told her who I was. When this woman's life up to this point has just been marked with brokenness, shame, abandonment, broken relationships. Nothing is steady. Nothing is stable. Five husbands. Got a boyfriend on the side. Like, and Jesus says, man, I'm that dude you've been waiting for the whole time. I don't know about you, but pastor's Friends, like, if we see a baptism, don't we get a jolt of adrenaline? If we see somebody come to Christ, like, we get excited. Like, when the, when the kids line up and adults line up and get baptized, like, I'm holding back tears, right? And I'm not thinking too much about anything else in that moment of, like, how heaven is meeting earth in this moment in this person's heart. So Jesus ain't too much studding this fish cookout, Right? <laughs> That's because being what God has, being a part of what God has planned and is laying out right before our very eyes should be fulfilling. So even as we pursue our one, like there should be some fulfillment in that. Not that we don't have to eat. I'm not saying don't eat. Don't hear me say that. But there, there is, a, is, a, is a satisfaction that comes from seeing your father walk through you, his child, to further the kingdom. Right? Here's the irony. Jesus tells the disciples to go out and buy some food. But then he tells them, you've gone out to reap what you didn't labor for, the food. Others have labored and you benefit from their labor in verse 38. And I'm reading this text. and I'm like, oh snap. The disciples go into town, reap food that they didn't sow for. She goes into town after meeting Jesus and gets souls that she didn't sow for. Like, what a, what a beautiful thing. Like, like, they go in and get the food, right? She goes back and she gets people. Yeah. She gets people, right? Ah, oh, what a beautiful thing by the way, there are no miracles in this text. This isn't a call fire from heaven. This isn't a healing. This isn't a frill and big old fireworks and somebody's walking again. He's just straight up ministering to this lady. You ain't got to fall out and bring out the snakes, people, so people can believe. That's extra. (laughs) Like the word is sufficient, right? The word is sufficient and your testimony should be a part of his story, right? She comes to this well, shame, rejection, loneliness, many husbands, many men, but she leaves this well, and her testimony is now soaked with the living water that quenches her thirst for purpose, intimacy, and dignity. All of this as she has found her newly acquainted and long-awaited Messiah and the disciples go reap food for what they didn't sow for. And she's having this moment, and she goes back into town. And her harvest are the souls of those who believe on the man who told her everything. We have to believe that Jesus has a harvest for us to reap, even if we don't sow for it, right? As their conversation comes to a close, this woman, having spent a good portion of her life of ill reputation by herself. Probably woke up that morning thinking, I got to get to this well. It's hot. I ain't trying to be seen and I got to get back to the house because I ain't trying to hear it. Now stands face to face with the man that she's been waiting for. Her Messiah, Jesus, tells her, I am he. These words echo the words of God In the Old Testament, when he speaks to Moses on the mountain, Exodus 3.14, when Moses asks the Lord, who should I tell them sent me? God replies to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. That be Yahweh. That be God's covenant name with his covenant people. And as we jump back into John 4, I am he. The Jews seem bothered by Jesus. Nicodemus is baffled by his ministry, but he stands before this Samaritan woman who has no business touching him, being alone with him, asking him, getting his water, doing anything. And he says, I want to introduce myself as the God of the universe to come be with you. Yes. Right? Yeah. Ah. Jesus introducing himself to this Samaritan woman. And like Exodus, like in Exodus, God introduces himself to a people that he can love, that they can love him back. She's got her new romance now. She's got her true groom instead of all these boyfriends, right? And she can now be a bride. Her new covenant stands before her and introduces himself. And she goes and tells the village. If you're here today and you feel like you're an unlikely candidate to fellowship with God, and you got a past and even a present marked by sin and shame, let me introduce you to a place where you can bring all that stuff to come and die. It's at the cross. The man on the cross, his name is Jesus, and the Bible tells me in Isaiah, In Isaiah, he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. Our rebellion is conquered by the cross. Our iniquities are forgiven because of the cross. Our punishment was taken by Jesus on the cross because the Bible says we deserve death and eternal separation from God. But even when we deserve eternal separation, the Lord comes close and he comes near and he comes right in the midst of our brokenness and says, I am he. Friends, we know a God who sent one to save many. God sent Jesus to save many. We know a God who meets us in our shame and thirst to bring us to glory with the living water. Brothers and sisters, you may be thinking, my one is too far away. My one is of a different ethnicity. My one has a different background. My one may be a UK fan. But you have to believe, just like Jesus and the Samaritan woman, no matter where we are in life, they're not too far away, not too ethnically different, not too culturally different for an introduction to I am. Because when your one meets I am, Your one can go tell others. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a beautiful and glorious God who meets us in the midst of our bitterness and brokenness, Lord. Father, we are not worthy to stand before you. We ask humbly that you just show yourself to us. And Father, we see that your love endures forever, that it is you who took our punishment on the cross. You made the ultimate sacrifice, sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sin. And so Father, I pray that we'd be reminded that you are he. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.